Welcome to the MK Performance Chat. Of course, special mention goes to my sponsors and supporters. In particular, S-Fuels for performance and lifestyle nutrition, along with hydration, team purpose for racewear and training apparel, and of course, my personal sponsors that have contributed to my triathlon journey over the last four years, Kerry Logistics and Hunter Campbell Recruitment. And welcome to the MK Performance Chat, where we talk about everything from training to racing, sports psychology to nutrition, mostly centered around triathlon, but completely applicable to any athlete within their chosen sport. My name is Matt Kerr, and most recently I've become the 2021 Age Group Ironman World Champion at Utah St. George. On these chats, I'm joined by my coach, Grant Schofield, in fact, Professor Grant Schofield to discuss age group relevant topics that we both believe are some of the most basic and most fundamental principles that any athlete can apply to their training and racing program. Of course, we all want to experience success. We want to share our story. We want other age groupers to experience success. And we believe we have some of the key principles that any age grouper can apply to their training and racing program. Since the success at St. George, both Grant and I have been overwhelmed with the response from the age group community. People want to know how we do things, what we do. In fact, we certainly do and have done things very differently. Here's our opportunity to give back and help those that are out there and answer some of your questions and provide vital information, which we can only hope you apply to your training program. Okay, here we are. Grant Schofield and Matt Kerr. Hi, Matt. Good evening. How are you? Good. So we're just going to do a little review of uh, Ironman Ken's that you've just done. Talk about that. What went through your mind there, how that all went, why you'd even do an Ironman five weeks after doing a previous one, especially World Champs, and what you learnt. And then I want to also spend some time talking about what you're thinking going forward and what other people can get out of that discussion as well going forward. So we're going to talk about performance gaps, you know, thinking about where, where things have gone well, where, they, where you think you could do better and where you can get the most bang for your buck. There's always things you can improve, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay, so let's talk about Ken. So uh, that's a race you've just done. It's about, I think right now we're about eight or nine days after that happened. Tell us about the, that race to start with the preparation. You had five weeks between the Ironman World Champs to St. George and doing that Ironman. In fact, I didn't even think you were doing that. I thought you were doing the 17.3. And then when you rang me and said, oh, I want to have a chat about Ironman Cairns, I was like, oh, good, he's not going to do it. It's not even going to do the 17.3. And you go, oh, I might be thinking something different than you. <laughs> it's one of those conversations where... Yeah, we were on completely different ends of the spectrum there. Um, and we've had that conversation before where we talk about, yeah, we're on the page with most things. Um, but yeah, that we certainly weren't on different page. We were on different pages. So, um, yeah. Well, I just assumed you wouldn't want to do it because you just won the world champs. But having never won a world championship myself, I didn't, you might, obviously you're just feeling good. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just how it goes, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, the seventy point three was always on the cards, and I was entered into that. And yeah, like we've talked about prior to this, we came off St George feeling pretty good, and yeah, the decision was was sort of collaboratively made between the two of us before I even left Utah that that was definitely going to happen. Um, and I think a key to actually making that that race possible was before we even decided that it was a thing. We looked at the time period that we had between the things that had to happen between. Uh, so I'd, was, I'd still got to come home to New Zealand from the States. Uh, then had to that, that, that's a few days in itself, just to get that to happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then um, during that time was also relocating to Australia for you know a, mu- a few months um, through the New Zealand winter. So there was, there was other things to consider beyond um, you know the training as well and, and, and did we actually have enough time to A, recover, get all that logistical admin life stuff done, uh, as well as prep as best as possible for, for that race upcoming in 
what we had of five weeks, you know. And, and you're trying to get a new bike organised as well through your, through the bike shop at yeah. Cambridge. Yeah, so that all took time and, um, you know, by the time you factor in a bit of a taper time and recovery time and then all that other stuff, we figured we actually didn't have too long, did we? Yeah, I think we figured it had like two blocks of four days to try to do some decent training. Yeah, solid, solid. It really much, yeah. lot, that's that long and then you sort of need the weather to go right, which is always a bit dodgy in New Zealand at this time of the year. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, you got, you got some training. So what did you do? Again, just remind us, we had a couple of weeks easier than you did a building block of four or five days where you might have done, I don't know, four or five hour ride, uh, then a decent trainer run the next day and then a long run. All in yep. four day period, yep. Four day period, yep. So that was the first little micro block, I guess we call that, and that was done in New Zealand. Yep. Uh, then we got on a plane and and made the move here into Queensland um, and had a sort of day to settle in, unpack and all that sort of stuff and, and offload. And then we started, I guess what we called that second little micro block of, again, four days. Um, and that was, you know, there's three days between probably those, so there was definitely time to recover. And yeah, went through the sort of same process as that first block. Five-hour ride. Yep. Trainer two, run. Two-and-a-half-hour trainer, one-and-a-half-hour run. Bit of a break, and then a two-and-a-bit-hour run. Yeah, actually, that long run got done in Cairns. First day I got to, or second day I got to Cairns. Oh, yeah, that was in hot, it's quite hot in Cairns at this time of the year, isn't it, surprisingly? Yeah, even, even um, yeah, significant difference from where I'm staying at the moment, which is in Mooloolaba. So it's still warm. It was like, you know, 24, 25 degrees. Then we got up to Cairns and it was that 27, 28, but there was a humidity was significantly more. So that's hence why we tried to get that long run. Yeah, it'd be quite cloudy and not look that hot when you look at your, at your window and then when you get out there, it's hot. Yeah, you come home and you feel like someone's just hosed you down with a fire hydrant hose. You're wet. You're absolutely dripping wet. Yeah, the bit that almost got me about that sort of humidity is that the sweat's just falling on the ground. It's not really cooling you down, so you're unnecessarily losing water. At least, you know, somewhere where it's dry but hot, like St George, Utah, this is cooling you down. Yeah, and those are the two huge difference in, in the types of heat. St George was that dry, whereas Cairns was just that hum humidity. Uh, and since you're only for Kona, that's probably a good practice. Hence uh, why we picked that race as... Uh, give us another reason to go and do the full distance, yep. Yeah, so that's probably the main thing is just to do some uh, nine metre hot and humid conditions. Test it out. Yeah. Oh yeah, in fact, right Carrie, your training mate, arrived, yeah. arrived in Cairns. How'd that go? Yeah, good. Uh, we were, so we were, we were there two weeks out uh, from race day uh, with with the intention of having that first training, that first week as, as a pretty... Uh, solid week and we were going to train right through until race day pretty much with a considera consideration of taper of, of a taper there so he came about a day after me um, and yeah we rolled through that week pretty well and so even the week weekend before the race so the race is a week away at that point I know a lot of athletes get quite nervous around that weekend right so how do you deal with the you want to still do something, but you don't want to tie yourself out. You got a race coming. You guys actually still keep going, right? So I put it there. I think yeah, we still. I mean, we we tried to just pull as much uh, fitness all the way through from St George and hold on to that um, right until that last minute, rather than the traditional big sort of, you know, ten to twelve day taper that most take. Uh, we were still riding. Uh, I think we had our last solid ride terms of intensity on like that Tuesday yeah and I think you did sort of a four hour ride on the weekend yeah yeah we did probably just running yes yep. yeah so I think that's probably the tip, first tip for people is like you can keep your bike volume going a lot longer uh yep. and you can do two two rides a week of with some intensity probably thing okay so anyway you get to let's, let's skip all the 
pre-race stuff. Let's just go straight to the event itself, eh? Because that's more interesting. Yeah. So I, I will talk about Braden a little bit as well because it's interesting. Like he sets off in the swim, I don't know, with nine minutes ahead of you guys in the age group. They swim a forty-six forty, and you managed a fifty-one thirty. What, what do you make of that? Uh, yeah, so they pros are seven minutes, which was probably the shortest amount of time I've been in a race where the pros have started in front of us there. It's usually sort of 10, 15, or even 20 minutes ahead. Um, yeah, in terms of the swim times, it's, I, 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 I guess going into the swim, I had quite high expectations to swim reasonably solid. Um, and 51 probably wasn't overly happy with for that. Um, you know, like racing age group, it is what it is, and, and it's a choice I'm making at the moment to swim there. And sure, there, there might be a bit more of a pack and a pro field that you can hang on to, and that, you know, might get 90 seconds, two minutes, and that. Um, but I think 51 probably wasn't, I wasn't overly stoked with at the end of it, to be fair. Um, there was, yeah, there's no excuses around that. It was, it was hot water, you know, it was really, that really warm, salty water. Uh, you're in a wetsuit, so by 20, 25 minutes, you'd certainly feeling the heat, uh, swimming. Like it's actually quite hot because you're in a full wetsuit. Um, and yeah, I was swimming in a, in a sort of second hack I guess second bunch um and there was about three of us together and what I thought you know with the age group is you don't really know who's who in the zoo um in terms of the athletes so um whether you're actually swimming with an athlete that is a reasonable swimmer or not um could turn out to to be not as strong a swimmer and you're sitting on them drafting and doing what you think is a reasonable turnover, but it actually turns out to be uh, not. So there's an element of that. I mean, for everyone else out there, they're going, well, 51, I've, if I got within three minutes of that, five minutes of that, I'd be stoked. So I, I suppose to put it in context is when you go training with Braden, then you're usually swimming side by side and you seem pretty even. Um, maybe he's a little bit faster, but yeah, you don't want to expect to lose five minutes. No, yeah. no. So, so, so listen, me from that is, Probably cone is a nice wetsuit swim and you probably still go to swim faster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay, then you jump on this bike ride and you start laying out some power on a pretty, well, it's not sure it's a fast course. It's got some, I've noticed it had a thousand meter of elevation and it's got some wind. Yes. Uh, yeah. But you, what did you say? You laid it a bit. For the first 90, you were doing about 290 normalized, which is some fair bit of power effort, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, came back to Palm Cove on our second lap, so it was sort of go out from uh, T1 and T2 are split. So your bike's actually where you swim, uh, and then you ride into town, and it's a split transition uh, for those that are not sure of, of that. So it's a double lap uh, riding course, and I came through, yeah, about the first 90, 95k with, uh, yeah, about 290 normalised. So that's going pretty freaking hard, right? It was going all right, yep, yep. Yeah, and not only are you not breaking away and leading, there's still a guy with in front of you and there's a guy behind you catching you quite fast. Were you aware of that? Uh, I wasn't aware of the guy catching me until uh, we got to Port Douglas on the last lap. Um, but yeah, I was sort of, actually by that point of coming back to Palm Cove, it, it dropped. Um, I think it was Harry Wild, yeah. Wilds. Uh, but we rode up to Port Douglas pretty much hand in hand uh, and then he got away on a break, and then um, yeah, I caught him back up. And oh, what's that guy? Mark Redzijewski from WA. Yes. Yeah, he could so bike he, that guy. Yeah, he rode hard. He did ride hard. Yeah, and I think we well, we did. We came into T two together. Yeah, so he ended up uh, riding four twenty eight for the hundred eighty k, and you did four thirty two, but you came in together as he was a slow swimmer. That's that's a fair bit of riding, especially with the. The second group of the pros was only running that speed, and the first group was ten minutes faster with Braden or eight minutes faster. So, they it was a pretty good ride from you. 
uh, turned out that that other guy probably went a bit hard because I don't know what happened to him, but he, he didn't finish in the end. No, um, as I said, we came into the no, I didn't see him afterwards. We came into the change tent and uh, I figured he'd ridden pretty hard because I didn't see him at all during the race until, as I say, that last turnaround of Port Douglas. And then he, we came into the change tent together and um, we raced in WA together and he, he runs pretty well. And yeah, I thought coming out of T2, it's going to be a race on here. Um, and then I got a couple of splits quite early on that he was running like 5.10 maybe, 5.11. Um, and that progressively got slower. And then you wouldn't see him after about 12, I think, 12, 15K. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and so then you just let, let you had a fair lead by that point and just carried on. And you ran, well, you ran three, three hours exactly. Three hours, yeah, 45 something, 45 yeah. seconds. Yeah. So that was all right. What were you feeling about that? Um, I felt pretty comfortable, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Feedback was I didn't look that comfortable, but um, no, definitely I felt in a, a world of control, I guess, um, whereby, yeah, I know I'd worked on the bike and, and got the lead, which is cool, and there was almost, uh, there wasn't any pressure to maintain that uh, position out the front, but also uh, there was an opportunity to catch or press on those athletes that were in front, which included, or which were, uh, those pros that have started before me. Oh, yeah. So, is that where you're trying to pick up those pros as you go? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But but out of but out of being conservative rather than uh, racing. So it's like I guess I knew that I had a long term efficiency, which hopefully was going to play dividends later on, and there might have been some carnage later from some of that back end pro field and and running through them just with my efficiency of that fat oxidation that we we have. Yeah, so you're, good, you're a good fat burner and you're pretty used to the heat, so those two things yep. are going to mean that if you're, I don't know, like one guy you just pipped in the end is, is a pretty good athlete, is that Ben Phillips from Christchurch in New Zealand, so I bet he's coming from Christchurch, isn't that warm at this time of year to be fair, um, and I, I don't know what his fat, fat oxidation is like, but um, you probably have an advantage there at the end. Yes, yep. Yeah. Yep. All right, so that's the race, 8.31, got the course record, that's all good. Uh, probably going to be the hope, perhaps the last time you race as an age grouper in Australia or New Zealand. Mm, yeah, possibly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, and then looking forward, I had, had to feel at the end of all that. Um, yeah, pretty good. As I say, it was like I'd, there was no damage done on the run. Uh, we didn't experience any untoward sort of cramping or. Um, you know, niggles is that it was just a matter of getting through it consistently. Um, toilet stop and actually stopped in special needs as well on the run. So a couple of stops there, which probably gave me about three hours and 45 seconds. But um, yeah, crossed and things felt pretty, pretty good, to be honest. So I was always surprised that, you know, whenever I've done my med, admittedly it's a while ago, but you know, just really collapse across the line and then a bed, you have to basically carry me back to the hotel. Uh, whereas you went out on the course to help support some of the athletes that you're coaching. Yeah, actually, um, mum was up there. My mum was, was up supporting and um, she did quite a good job on the day of split, splits and, and whatnot. And she um, actually hired a bike, so I jumped on that. And oh, I had a quick shower in the, the lagoon there and in the public changing rooms and had, had a quick shower, got some change of clothes and then, yeah, jumped on the bike and we had a couple of athletes out there um crossing the finish line so it was get out and had a few laps to go so followed them around on the bike course and and pulled them home through the through the line which was awesome to see yeah good idea i would have had enough of biking and being on the marathon course by that stage of the afternoon to be perfectly honest but good enough and, and uh, good i think that was laura being and stevens did pretty well so are you coach yeah yeah, yeah. her and there's a couple of others out there so um no, she did. She did very well. She'll be proud. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so there's some wrap up the race, I suppose. Uh, anything else about that? Um, no, uh, there was all, like, I, you know, I, and you've been in Talbo, Grant. Um, it's, Talbo's awesome and what we know of, but at Cairns, it was just next level. Um, that The run they've put onto a four lap, which it was last year, but they'd slightly cha they'd changed the direction of which you run. 
Um, and that, there's an esplanade there which you run along and it's just right on where all the restaurants and bars are and the atmosphere was amazing. It was, it was huge down there. So in, a, in actual fact, the run course sort of took care of itself with, with people and supporters and crowds and, and whatnot. There's really only one section out to the turnaround uh, that you had to worry about in terms of taking care of yourself. And the rest of it was all, um, you block up in segments and um, yeah, the people on the side did the work for you. Yeah, so the, I reckon that, that those sort of uh, regional cities that get in behind these things actually do a really good job. And uh, Ken says especially so. Um, and we always, as Ken, we always appreciate the Aussie energy and sense of humour and their, their comments. <coughs> their, their banter. Their banter always gets you entertained, doesn't it, the Aussies? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. So um, that was good. The vibe was amazing, and and uh, Ken's just put on a huge show. So it was um, anyone that's that's interested, like that is probably out of the Aussie races that I've done, and even the New Zealand ones. It's just yeah, it was fantastic. So it's great. Yeah, that's I'll, nice. I'll, I'll, try, I'll try and come to that one at some point in my the future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you got an injury from that. Uh, I sort of went in with a bit of a niggle, to be honest, um, but a niggle that I knew I could um, get through the event with and that it wasn't going to be completely detrimental to anything that we've got coming up. Um, it just would take some prep, a uh, bit of rehab and recovery, proper recovery to uh, mend, which we're going through at the moment. So, yeah, a little bit of... Um, Tendonitis on a foot. Yeah, like, tendonitis, inflamed tendon. Um, dad post to be a tendon with a little bit niggly and, and gritty, so just need to let that settle. Um, it's inflamed at the moment, and um, yeah, we'll just let that settle and then um, put some pressure back through it in the right capacity, right way. Okay, so why don't we transition to the second thing and talk about performance gaps. So i just introduce that concept. You are right with that? Yeah. So I, I think... The idea of the performance gap is where, where the gains can be made or what the biggest limiting factors are, and, and some of those are obvious. So, so for me, in age group Ironman triathlon at least, or age group endurance triathlon and endurance running, then the most obvious performance gap for most people is their lack of fat oxidation. So they've just run out of juice, basically. So, that, so that's a, a massive performance gap, and, and it's the most... Easily, well, it's not easily fixed, but it's fixable in a way that actually allows you to get a lot more juice out of out, a lot more enjoyment out of your race. So, so that, that's a performance gap concept, and that's the most obvious one. I think that's probably not a performance gap for you anymore. We've been working on that for a while. Uh, so you go, well, what are the other things that I can improve on? And you know, there's a, 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 some other examples. Are, uh, a, a big performance gap at one point was aerodynamics on the bike. We were talking about that for a second. Yeah, and we that got addressed middle of last year properly. Yeah, you know, um, and we were aero, but there was, as you say, there was we get start getting down to the small percenters of actually um, making some gains on that. So, well, yeah, but it was worse than that earlier than that. I remember one time a few years ago you did Ironman seventy point three at Sunshine Coast, and you normalise I don't know like two eighty watts on the bike, which is pretty good for where you were back then, uh, yeah. and I don't know, you're 15 minutes behind the fastest age group on the bike. Yeah, and you turned to me and said, why are you so slow? Yeah. Yeah, and then we looked at back at some of the finisher picks and well, there was our answer, wasn't it? Yeah, you're basically <laughs> sitting up in a very high position with your hands facing downwards, so there's this ginormous cup sucking up here as you went forward. And I think that for, for, for a lot of people thinking about that era, it's like really thinking about closing up that frontal area. Um, and you look where you're at now, I reckon you've got the best area of anyone that I know, including some of the uh, best pros. Yeah, it, it, well, it hasn't. It hasn't. T it hasn't just come. You know, we've worked on it for a while. Um, but yeah, in comparison to where we started, um, there's definitely huge gaps, and that's, I guess, um, there's been a little bit of investment there on the front end as well, and getting that that set up. But that it, it doesn't have to go to extremes to do so. Um, we looked at it, we've looked at a couple of different helmets and selected one and gone with that, and that sort of wraps nicely over the top of my shoulders and and sits down the back. But on that beasting, and um, 
Yeah, so at, at the same time, not compromising any of the, the hip angles and position, having them more optimal to be able to still um, produce power, right? Yeah. So so I, I just take through my sort of common list. So we talked about fat oxidation, just making it number one performance gap. Number two is just not having good enough swim technique to even finish anywhere near being in the race. So you're out of it straight away. That's pretty obvious. One doesn't really affect you. Um, the next most obvious one is your bike equipment, but particularly aero. Uh, and, and so I, I think people will be surprised how much time they can save and how much more they can save in the race for not that not putting up that much power. So yeah, uh, you, you look at what the best woman in the world, the elite woman put out to win the bike part of Ironman, it's about 230 watts normalised. Yeah, um, yeah, the top third of the male field could reasonably easily expect to do that. And um, yeah, they don't ride as anywhere near as fast as those women. Okay, the water a bit lighter, but on, even on a flat course they don't, but it's, it's zero. That was it. And I also think um, what backs up that is, is being able to ride in that position and maintain that position for, you know, a large percentage of that course. Whatever that course looks like, right? Oh, so how do you do that? Uh, well, you, you train in that position and be comfortable that you that you can ride um, in an aerodynamic position for the duration of a Ironman. Yeah, I, I was always encouraging you to take your road bike out more because I was sort of like, well, it's, it's more fun, it's comfortable, it's safer, but you, you're generally predisposed to going out on a TT bike all the time and it's probably paid off, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I was just thinking about you know, like having fun, but actually, you're racing, so. No, you're right. There's a time and place for that, though, and you don't always have to be in full aero position at pushing power, right? Yeah. Establish that. Yeah. But, but you do at some point. Yeah. So those are the main performance gaps. I, I suppose the other one is just thinking about people's running. Well, I, there's, I mean, there's really three major factors in running at the performance gaps. One is 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 your weight. But you can't carry an extra 10 kilos in a run just makes so much difference. So you can reasonably expect to lose over a marathon. I, I reckon you can reasonably expect to lose uh, three minutes a kilo extra you carry. Carrying 10 extra kilos, you can just add half an hour onto your time at least. And so that that's a, a massive performance gap for many people. Uh, it's obviously not for you. Um, and saying that though, you have leaned down several kilos over the time that you've been involved in the sport you probably started yep. closer to the high seventies and need uh, closer to the low seventies yeah and in particular i think that was coming back to new zealand off the middle of last year yeah there was a notice in that and and that's probably where we saw a little bit of a run improvement uh coming into the start of this year yeah not to say that that's contributed to uh losing some of that uh, mass but yeah. um there's probably been a little bit there yeah uh, it's a little bit of a trade there as well because you probably did, you lose some muscle mass that probably would have used for biking and stuff. But yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's the first performance gap in running. That you'd be interested to see what you say about the second two. Are. I think it's a combination of what we call economy. So it's, yeah. your, it's your ability to, to run smoothly. Uh, and for the most part, the problem for most people they have is that when their foot contacts, it's actually providing a negative force rather than a, either a neutral or a positive going forward force. Uh, and so that's that's a big deal. Um, and the sort of combination of that economy is a thing we call durability, is the ability to sort of keep economy that you've going, got going for a longest period of time. And so that's, that's an interesting thing, right? And, and one easy way to think about the combination of economy and durability is in swimming, you go off and swim at 50, and it's forget the energy systems and all that. You're just, you're just actually reasonably economical, and, you, and your strike's pretty good. Go for a hundred against worse. Go for two hundred against worse. Go for four hundred against. Yeah, you know, you're good for a fifty. Then it gets worse and worse and worse. Even even swimming at a manageable power output. So it's yeah, it's we find that hard to do in swimming, but we don't acknowledge that we find it hard to do in running as well. And I suppose for you, that's probably a major work on for Kona, isn't it? Is run sort of combination of run economy and run durability durability across across the time that's needed yeah. to get through that race yeah and so one of the things that 
helps you with economy and durability is to have the when you when your foot contacts the ground, it's sort of contacting underneath your hip, and then it starts to drive back and push out, and then you've got a breath period of being airborne. Uh, other leg comes through, and then when it hits the ground, it's coming and contacting underneath your hip, contacting the ground midfoot at about the exact speed that you're actually moving, or even slightly faster to provide forward force. Now that that's actually why you can watch a Kenyan do it on a video, uh, but and practice that's actually really hard to do to that's the that's the ideal ideal position that you you know like the ideal um rhythm that we want right yeah as you've just described yeah that's best case scenario yeah uh and the, the flip side of that is well you, you you either that that leg extends out and hits the ground and in front of the the hip or even if it's hitting, if contacting under the hip, it's doing it at a velocity that's slower than you're moving, and it has to, you know, provides friction. It actually slows you down. You've got to speed up again from scratch. Uh, and you now people could, most people could sort of get there. You send them off into a 200 meter at, you know, their 10k pace. That'll actually be pretty good. And then 400, it might start to break down a bit. Send them for a K and the second half is not looking good. You send them for 10Ks and they've got it for a bit and then it breaks down. So uh, even even good, really very good runners are good for bits of it. It seems to fall apart a bit towards the end. Uh, so I think, you know, how do you do that? How do you fix that? Well, running volume certainly improves economy. There's just no doubt about that for us, that in of itself. Uh, purposeful running volume where you've got cues like, uh, you know, it could be your head position. Uh, it could be your head and neck position. Uh, are easy things to get into place and hopefully the feet follow. When you're trying to concentrate exactly where your foot falls, I don't know about you, Matt, but that's friggin' hard because it's happening, I don't know, the stride rates are like 180 a minute. Yeah. So, you know, every third of the second is a, is a foot stride. And I think we, like, we've, we've actually learned that the hard way. We've tried to do that because of, well, I've been in that position and I probably still am to a degree whereby um, I guess commonly what's known as that heel strike, like that was a huge thing when I first started running and it progressively got worse over the course of an Ironman distance. Yeah. You know, as you talk about that later part um, and trying to rectify that to come up with some sort of method to mitigate it was like a, quite a difficult thing. And we tried to break it down as you've just described and that's almost the near impossible. So, and people will take, like, I'll take slow-mo video of you running and then, you know, look at the, at your foot strike and how your knee, your feet flow out behind you and, you know, you almost kick your butt coming through and how your knee lift is and how those don't look good and the asymmetrical, that sort of stuff. But actually, it's sort of more or less futile to try and fix those by concentrating on the directly, eh? Yeah. Yeah, so, so out think it's pretty some drills. So, so there's specific drills that do parts of that that you can actually see. Uh, yes. And then when you're actually running, it usually makes more sense to be getting the upper body things in place. Uh, so where your hands are, you sort of lean forward, your head position, and those things actually makes those things a bit easier. Yeah. And incorporating them into your sessions yeah. um, as well. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon the number one thing at the moment, though, that this an interesting one. It's been a frustrating one to coach, uh, is that you're just not the sort of guy who gets around in bare feet. That's not really a thing. Um, whereas you know a lot of New Zealand Aussie kids and adults even just get around in a lot of bare feet, and they have quite a robust sort of lower foot structure as a consequence. Their toes is quite spread, uh, their arches and that whole lower foot structure is quite robust. Uh, whereas the, the trouble is with a modern running shoe, especially those uh, those ones that you run in, those Nike types of ones. The, yeah, those that, like the, with the most common ones with the carbon plate or they've got some, some sort of structure whereby yeah, your alpha flies or they've got quite a bit of support in them. Yeah, but the whole thing about the support is if you're just running them all the time and wearing them around, it's like a giant crutch really you just got the support so the structure it, it compensates for the weakness of the structure and it's plausible then at least my hypothesis is just the structure just gets even weaker because you're not really using it it's sort of like the problem of, of, of orthotics 
So I've all the podiatrists out of the crutch when they hear me say this, but you know, you've got a you've got a problem with your foot and they put it in a crutch to try and fix it. It's like what you actually need is to do the exact opposite is to put on less shoes, uh, you know, do a few easy runs on grass with bare feet and you know, see if you can strengthen that structure rather than saying it's weak, we need to put a, a crutch underneath it. And so I've been it's really hard with those, isn't it? Because you try and go, oh, well, there's some barefoot running or that sort of thing. And, and it's such a high injury risk. And in fact, every time you've done it, you've got an injury. So I've sort of caused that. <laughs> yeah, so it is a catch-22 because at the moment, like I'm living in shoes because I've got an injury. And at the moment, there's a time and place for them, right? Yeah. So at the moment, I'm living in shoes because I need to give that tendon as much support as possible to give it relief to actually heal. So once it heals, I guess, and we've been through that process before, it's a matter of how do you um, increase its strength and, and give it exercise within that whole foot arch area. Um, and some of that is definitely done by barefoot, but there's also a flip side to that as you go full on and, and do everything in barefoot and, and there's sessions where you, that it's actually just too much for yeah, it. You, you end up you get, get injured from it as a result, you know, so I'm going to do this 30 minute run session uh, and it's going to all be on the grass and it's going to be intentional around um, trying to get some structure in, in my arch of my foot, learning to run in bare feet and doing some strides and easy running, etc, etc, whatever it might look like. Yeah. But in fact, that's probably a bit of an, if we talk about those principles of training, it like that's overloading um, that specific area. So it'll lead to an injury. Yeah, that's true. Experience. And it's not that much fun, is it, when you're not very good at it? No, no, no. Yeah, it's good. Because uh, the other thing about uh, running mechanics and that efficiency of landing midfoot with your foot hitting the same as thing, go for a run in, for people out there could try this, go for a run in bare feet on the grass, you know, on softest grass, and your mechanics will be completely different than in a big hugging shoe. Um, and you'll find yourself in, you know, more or less that perfect landing position because if you don't land like that it friggin hurts you can't land on your heel when you're running in bare feet it's just not a thing no but and there's there's also another type of terrain that you predominantly run solely on the balls of your feet or on your forefoot and that's soft sand and we've experienced that before or even just like you know it doesn't have to be soft but just semi-soft sand yeah and, and, and you can't run any other way because you just like getting any traction yeah good luck you know like you won't heel strike in soft sand it's not a possible thing yeah, so, so you know, mechanics or well, economy are actually very good in bare feet. It's just that you can't obviously go and run like that. Uh, and there's advantage just to having quite a bit of cushioning in something like a marathon, right? Because it rebounds, it provides energy back. Some of those plates do that, plus some. So you know, it's actually much faster than the foot. Uh, but then you end up with a weak foot and get used to running the mechanics that aren't very good. So it's such a, such a hard one to think about. I think that's our big work on for the next uh, three or four months, really. Eh? Yes, yeah. yep, to try and get some, as we go back to, the performance gain within durability. And um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so the other thing I've been thinking about, and we've tried this a bit before, I think it was a little bit successful with people who want to do this, rather than, if you already get a bit of running volume, rather than just trying to do a whole lot of long runs, is, is we keep the run duration a bit shorter and sometimes split them. So you might have two short runs in a day, and but the running mechanics and, and durability are, are actually quite good on both those runs. In fact, we did that um, through the months of sort of January, February this year. Yeah. Uh, split runs for a, a block there. It was four, five weeks maybe, yeah. four or five weeks. Yes. And it worked really well. Yeah, you're trying to get, a, like you're trying to get a, a, a volume that helps with the economy, but try and get the best out of that economy so not, you're not going for long runs all the time. Yep. Yeah. Uh, another performance gap I just wanted to mention that people have trouble with that you actually solve really, really easily is the difference between running on different terrains or different, you know, ups and downs. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, and we're talking what we did through Utah. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a race that we had coming up that we knew the course was, was hilly. So again, we was, we specified that in the training block that we were going to be running on a terrain that would similarly replicate what we'd be racing. So that was an inclusion of hills in the training program. 
Um, but that wasn't enough because you would have did that and it still wouldn't make you any faster. No, no. Um, yeah, there's a couple of little cues there, especially for downhill running to get extra speed and actually run. What was happening is I was working on the uphills and then just running downhill and getting a complete drop in heart rate, but not not going anywhere as fast as what I should be um, for the terrain that I was running on. Yeah, so even on um, a, gen gentle, a gentle downhill gradient, it's possible to run quite fast, isn't it, without using too much energy? Yeah, and I was treating it a bit like a recovery. So it's, if it's the same thing you relate to the bike, it's like pedaling uh, down a descent, um, but almost freewheeling and getting down it rather than actually being in a gear and producing power down that descent. Um, I kind of, it was the same sort of thing. Oh, yeah. You know, you can float down, float down a hill running, jogging down, uh, your heart rate drops, which is cool, you recover, um, but you can actually still have a lower heart rate, be somewhat recovered, but be working on the downhill too, which um, took a few weeks to get. So what's the technique? Um, I just was sort of leaning forward, flying feet out the back, dropping the hands completely, letting the hands just just go, rather than having them high up on the chest. Um, yeah, uh, I experienced doing it quite early in the morning for a few sessions until I actually knew that there was an improvement there because you look like a dick to start with running down a hill with your hands by your side or out the back. Um, oh yeah, because your hands are actually like literally down by your running shorts, down below your hips, right, and actually flying out the back uh, with letting your heels fly right out the back and then you're letting your hands sort of come down there, I'm trying to do it now. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the feet fly out the back and you kind of envisage or visualize your hands flying out the back too which is a funny thing but um as i say it's not the prettiest thing to watch in terms of uh, technique but it um you just get the lean going downhill and it just stops that whole braking mechanism which i found i was doing um even on some pretty steep descents um and we talk about descents being um you know it was road it wasn't off trail so it was all in control um, but rather than that braking mechanism of, of going down a hill and feeling up get to brake, it was just letting it go, letting it flow, uh, lean forward, hands flow, and legs flow. So what I saw in the training data is that up on the, the circuits, I know you were going from, I don't know, 423 down those hills per K to like 343. So it's quite a significant movement in speed. Yep, yeah, and it was, yeah, it was huge. It was... Um, and the steeper it got, the faster you got, you know, for some of those, I was down to like 320, 330s yeah. for, you know, and you look at your watch and you're like, uh, 120 or less than 120, 130 heart rate. Yeah. So it also gives you a bit of peace of mind of going a little bit slower up the hills because you, you know, although you're losing some time up there, um, you're not burning matches and then, you know, you can make a bit of time going downhill. It's never as quick as running on the flat, of course, but you know, it's not, not too bad. No, no, because uh, typically most people use those downhills as a bit of recovery rather than actually a gain to be made. Yeah, and the trouble with that St George race, it was either going uphill or downhill, there was actually no flat, actually no flat. Well, no, there was. It was the only flat was out of transition, which was about 400 metres. And that was it? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, exclu that's excluding the change tent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there was like one other tunnel halfway through it or something that was about 50 metres long or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's the concept of the performance gap. So just to recap on that, I think the uh, one thing we've been good at is to identify those and work on the big ones, right? So fat oxidation, well, just getting a, getting equipment to, before you even start is obviously a thing. If you've got a bike, running shoes and a wetsuit, well, good luck with that one. So that's a performance gap. Uh, you know, turning up to training is a performance gap. But once most people have done those two things, then I think uh, the fat oxidation is the, the obvious big one. And we've really been this, well, you've been the star of that, really, uh, to get the numbers. And I think it's no longer a gap, but, it's, but it, it is for just virtually the whole rest of the age group field, including all the guys that, you, that were right on your case at Utah, um, and I don't know what, how that's going to play out in Hawaii. Um, you know, maybe the Fed will be even better there, uh, or, or it's different. But that's been a yep. performance gap. Uh, and then, then just picking picking up the big ones after that. Euro, obviously a big one. Uh, weight is a big one. 
uh, running economy and durability are, are huge. So, uh, and, and those are all still workers in, in this team anyway. And well, uh, yeah, what we say is we haven't, uh, we don't say, or we've got fat oxidation nailed and we, we're not revisiting as such. It's always in the prescription. It's just a matter of how we do that, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so there's always going to be those long aerobic uh, sessions. As, you know, when we talk about long, they, they change uh, chronically over time, right? Depending on what level you're at. And I think we're starting to experiment with that a little bit more. Yeah, so, um, so you did like, just to give people an idea, but there's one time a couple of years ago you did a 220k fasted ride. Yeah, remember that was a 221 or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Probably won't do those. That probably won't happen again. But the service no. purpose at the time. Yeah, and and that was the key. It was that was needed. Uh, well, yeah, it was an intentional need at the time, right? Yeah. Thought we'd push this out, see how well it could go, and it worked quite well. But I don't think there's any need to push it any further, or even repeat that workout. No, and not suggesting people do that, but there's something really good. But yeah, so that's the performance gap. Cool. Um, so yeah, moving forward. Yeah, Kona with the because oh, you just okay. discovered there was a a world. Is this the ITU? Is there still such a thing as the ITU? Well, it's an advancement on the ITU, right? It's 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 under the ITU umbrella. It's it's called uh, uh, Long Course, the Long Course World Champs or Triathlon Long Course World Champs. Yeah. Um, Who runs so that? Sits. Um, What's well, World Championship? Yeah, but it's like it's it's that whole uh, national, yeah, national federations ITU thing, eh? Correct. Yeah. And it's yeah. going to be over the distance of 2K, 2K 80. 80 and an 18K run. So it falls just under a half or 70.3 distance, um, but obviously well outside an Olympic distance. And that's in Slovakia. Uh, what about in Slovakia? Uh, Brista? Oh, Bristov. Bristov. It's, 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 it's the same um, same race as Collins Cup. Oh, yeah. Um, so over the course of that weekend, there's three races going on. There's obviously the big Collins Cup with the pros and those teams, the international teams, etc. And they've got their team, so that's one race. The second is an age group race. Um, so they've now opened that up for any age groupers to do that, which is the same course, just run on a different day. And then the third one is what we just talked about, is actually the World Champs. Uh, oh, yeah, so quickly put on your national colours and away you go. Exactly, you got to be, uh, yeah, you're representing your country, I think you're racing in your in your country suit and you're representing your your country. Oh, yeah, this should be quite good for me. Yep. Is, isn't Slovakia like next to Ukraine? Yeah, that's what you first told me when I suggested it to you. You said it borders it. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I'm not really involved in that whole thing between them and Russia. No. Okay. Well, not yet. we'll find out, eh? Okay. Cool. I'll, I'll yeah, there's an aquathon. You can do the aquathon on the Thursday. Uh, yep. That's one one k swim, five k run. This always an interesting one. You get a, you do a five k run. Uh, two, three days out. Two days out. Three days out from yeah. the race. You know what I was thinking? Would be a good idea. I, I, yeah, I'll put it to you on on the podcast. That you, you you obviously swim flat out. The one k swim on Thursday, whatever. Who cares about that? Yeah. And, and yep. you see where you're at, right? So you're like, hopefully with the front throughout the front or something. Yeah. Uh, but then you get you transition as quick as you can. And then you get your running shoes on with your stretchy laces and you bolt off, right? So you bolt off and do like two and a half, three K hard. Yeah. And try to figure out where you are. And if you're completely sucking, you're just like jog at home. And if it's if you're winning or you're doing well, then you you carry on. Yeah, I go a little. Carry on. Um, yep. That, yeah, there's obviously considerations for. Well, there seems a bit bit dumb to wreck yourself and come ninth or something. Yeah, true. But yeah, fair call. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. 
considering there's a race on the Sunday, which is a world championship race. Yeah, but that Equifon's a world championship as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. Well, it's the only thing my family's got that's hanging its head on because Louise one year won the, the, her age group at the, at the world champs in the, in the Equifon. That's before she got on the fixed gear bike. No, no, no. She did the swim run. She, she, she did the, this was Luke Moon in the 40 plus age group or something. So right. she she yeah. did she won the race on the Thursday. So had she not done that, she wouldn't have won anything because she came nowhere in the triathlon. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that what that that's the end of August, eh? Twenty first of August, something that weekend or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then you're off to the Red Bull Training Centre in France with Brady Carey. Yeah, something like that. I think we got about a week and a half after that. Um, which, yeah, Brad and I are both going over to Slovakia. He's obviously got the Collins Cup itself, and then I'll do that race. And then from there, I think we've got about 10 days floating through Europe, and then into Maui, um, start of September, for four or five weeks uh, prep going into Kona. Yeah. Which would be good. Yeah, one coming over. Um, that should be fun. You are. Yeah. You are. In fact, uh, one of your tickets were booked today. So. Oh, thanks. So, uh, it, you know, I mean, you're obviously working a bit through this period as well, like you're doing some teaching, and uh, you've got the the uh, team purpose Oceana started. Just, you're doing some, you know, you've got some other business stuff you're trying to develop as well. Yeah, uh, I, like I think since I've come back from Cairns, I've almost, I've actually in fact worked every day. Yeah, uh, which has been. Which has been nice, and it's worked in pretty well with the recovery that we've had off Ken's race. Yeah. Um, so yeah, been back at work and in front of the kids teaching again, which is which is cool. And um, yeah, some other stuff on the side we're working with. Yeah, you sort of do need to be doing some work, otherwise it's a bit unfair on all the other age groupers, right? <laughs> well, you need to somehow be able to pay for where you're going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah work is uh, is essential at that point. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we'll leave it there, though. Cool, sounds good. All right. If you haven't done so already, jump online, check out sfuels.com. You'll hear Grant and I more often than not referring to sfuels in our conversation chats and how we or I both apply that in training and racing. Not only do they have product that I can apply in training and racing, they also have lifestyle products that you can use on a day-to-day basis from protein powders to muesli to lifestyle bars. The product is just unreal. If you haven't done so already, jump online, check out sfuels.com.